hanging on to hope for someone else to change in order for you to be happy is a recipe for disaster. Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on personal growth and lifestyle design. My name's Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. Every Sunday, you'll get new insight and inspiration on how to create your dream life. After the episode, the conversation continues in our Lavender Lifestyle Facebook group, so I can't wait to see you there. Life is an art. Make it your masterpiece. Hey, my loves, welcome back to the Lavender Lifestyle. It's Eileen. In today's episode, we are talking about relationships and heartbreak. This is going to be a good one. I'm super excited about it. But before we get into the interview, I want to remind you to check out the 2021 Artist of Life Workbook, a guided journal to help you plan your most intentional and inspiring year. With exercises on self-discovery, self-love, and life design, it's a tool to take you from where you are to where you want to be. So you can check that out at shop.lavendare.com. So our guest today is Amy Chan. Amy Chan is the founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp, a retreat that takes a scientific and spiritual approach to healing the heart. She's also the editor-in-chief of JustMyType.ca, an online magazine that focuses on the psychology behind love, lust, and desire. The Observer calls her a relationship expert whose work is like that of a scientific Carrie Bradshaw, and her company has been featured across national media, including Good Morning America, Vogue, Glamour, Nightline, and the front page of the New York Times. Her book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, published by HarperCollins, was just released on December 1st. Hi, Amy. Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be on the show. Same. I'm very interested to hear what you have to say because this is a very interesting topic that not a lot of people focus on, right? Breakups, healing the heart, this specific angle. So how and why did you become an expert on breakups and healing the heart? Yeah, great question. So... I have been heartbroken since I've been a little girl. And even though I was able to do well in my career and do well in school and with friends, matters of the heart was always what I struggled with. And so I dived into trying to research and understand everything I could on the psychology and science of love and relationships so that I could have better relationships myself. And what really propelled me to start my own breakup boot camp was I was in a relationship. I thought I was living the dream. I was dating someone. I thought I was going to marry the person and, you know, have children. And eventually I would be a stay at home wife. And that was my dream. And when that relationship fell apart, I completely fell apart because I put so much of my identity in him and in us. And that just caused me to go on to this quest of learning everything I could on the science and psychology of breakups. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious personally, why do you think your dream was to be like the housewife and why was it so revolved around this relationship? Yeah, I think watching my parents' relationship dynamic, which was pretty unhealthy. I'm the daughter of immigrant parents. They came from China and my parents weren't really around and it was a very chaotic upbringing. And I was always fighting for the attention of my father who put the family on like 10th of the priority list. And Mm -hmm. I learned at a very young age that if I got good grades, I would get some attention and Mm -hmm. my dad would give me money. And I wouldn't realize until way later in life after doing so much research that I was repeating this pattern 
with the people I was choosing in relationships. I was choosing people who never had time for me, that I was always chasing them for their attention, trying to prove my worthiness Mm -hmm. because I was really trying to heal this this pattern that I had with my father. And so, yeah, that's, you know, I I always think about breakups as it's never just about the ex, it's recycled pain. Mm -hmm. And in the case of me, I started having like compound trauma starting with the heartbreak with my father. Yeah. Wow. So I, can you go deeper into why we choose the wrong people? Is it usually the parent parental relationship and how does that work? Yeah, there's many factors. So there's one thing called attractions of deprivation. And this is when we choose people as an adult, um, on a very subconscious level, we choose people who can wound us in a very similar way to how we were wounded as children. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is your psyche is actually trying to recreate the scenario of the crime in an attempt to change its ending. Mm -hmm. And human beings, we like and we are drawn to what is familiar. So if you grow grew up witnessing an unhealthy relationship dynamic in your household. And then on top of that, then your first love and say that was really traumatic or dramatic. Um, you start building this, this chemistry compass, which is what I talk about in my book, which is what points you in the direction of who you're drawn to and who you're repulsed from. Mm-hmm. And so if it wasn't a healthy model of love, you're gonna your chemistry compass is constantly going to be pointing you towards people who can wound you in the similar way and you think you have chemistry mm-hmm. um, versus the people who are healthy, you're like, oh, you're boring. I don't have chemistry <laughs> with you. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can relate that. It's sometimes ironic that you're attracted to the bad boys or the wrong people, whereas the people who are healthy and nice aren't interesting, right? Is that where this comes from? Totally. And something to keep in mind is when we are drawn to say the bad boy or, you know, the bad girl, whatever it is, someone who you know is unhealthy for you, right? Like I get this a lot with people I work with on a cognitive level, they're like, oh, I, you know, there's red flags or, oh, I know this person isn't mm-hmm. right for me. But for some reason, they just can't seem to get out of it. Like everything in their body is saying green light, even though their brain mm-hmm. is saying red light. And so what's going on? And I think it's important to understand some of the psychological things that are happening. And one is intermittent reinforcement. And this is really when we don't know when the reward is going to come, when it's unpredictable reward. So meaning sometimes we get a and affection, sometimes we don't, or maybe that person is hot and cold and sometimes even, you know, abusive emotionally puts you down and then comes back and love bombs you. What that does is it actually triggers more dopamine. Mm. And they've done this study in rats and they've shown that rats who, um, this experiment where rats are pressing a lever and every time they press a lever, they get a pellet of food. And then these researchers are like, okay, let's see what happens when sometimes they press a lever and we give them the food, sometimes we don't. And what they found with the, were these rats completely got obsessed with pressing the lever. Mm-hmm. They started to ignore their grooming. They started to deteriorate because they were obsessed with pressing the lever. Mm-hmm. And they, they looked at the amount of dopamine and they were getting so much more dopamine when they didn't know when the reward was going to come. Wow. And so when we are in this dating dynamic or in a relationship with someone who is hot and cold, 
and just giving us breadcrumbs, that can get us addicted and hooked onto that person. Wow. That's really scary. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The fact that it's so addicting, not knowing when, it, you know what I mean? Just the, what was it called? Intermittent what? Intermittent reinforcement. And it's the same logic that applies to slot machines and casinos. Yes. yes. Yeah. That's what I was <laughs> thinking too. No wonder it's so addicting. So what are the steps to break this cycle? Because I'm sure some people recognize that they do attract the wrong people, but it's incredibly hard to get out of it. So what, what are the steps? I think one thing to keep in mind, if you are in a relationship you know is unhealthy or you feel like you're settling or you're just dating and you're looking to see who is a, a suitable partner for you, something to keep in mind is sunk cost fallacy. And this is a psychological term that applies to people who are playing the stock markets. It's the same thing that happens when you buy a movie ticket and 20 minutes into the movie, you hate it, but you stay anyway because you bought the ticket. The same thing happens mm -hmm. when we're in a relationship or we've invested in someone for years, or maybe you're 37 and you're like, well, this is the time I want to have children. And even though this person isn't right, I've invested the best years of my life. What happens is we fall into this thing called sunk costs. And that means we invest more into a bad deal hoping and thinking that the results might change instead of just saying, okay, whatever mm. money, time, energy I've already invested in this, I'm not going to get it back. And so the question to ask yourself is, if I was to make this exact same decision right now and I just forgot about the investment I've already made, would I make the same decision? Would I choose this person right now? And that is going to be really telling. And sometimes that's going to bring a reality that you might be really uncomfortable about because the change is really scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deciding, not looking at the past and seeing like how much time and energy you've spent, but choosing like, okay, would I decide? Like, it's kind of like choosing each day. Do you want to be with this person? Is it worth it? Yeah. I think there's a, a, you know, there is like the choosing your partner on an everyday basis. And there's also when there's something in your gut that tells you something is off. Right. And you know this because some of the signs of when this is off is when you start asking a lot of people for their opinions, right? Mm -hmm. You're trying to ignore your gut and you're trying to go back into your brain to see like, okay, maybe if I survey people. And so all, we do all these things to rationalize our decisions because if we've already made a decision and say we've been with someone for a couple of years or we've been hot and cold with someone for a couple of years, we want to validate that investment. So yes, one is identifying, are you uh, you know, prone to sunk cost fallacy and making a decision right now and saying, wait, is this five years from now the person I want to be with? Because they're not going to change. If you're going to be with someone, you have to accept that with their quirks and flaws and the things that you know annoy you, they're going to be exactly like they are right now. And can you accept that? And if not, then you have to just really snap back into reality because hanging on to hope for someone else to change in order for you to be happy is a recipe for disaster. And I see this all mm -hmm. the time. I work with people after breakups, after divorces, and they hang on for years, decades, that, and they prolong their suffering versus cutting their losses and, and going and saying, okay, I'm going to start again. Yeah. What would you say is the difference between, you know, sometimes in a relationship you have to sacrifice and compromise because you do want to be with this person. So sometimes that has to happen and then versus losing yourself and giving up too much of yourself in a relationship. 
how do you know, like, what's the, where's the line? Yeah. It is such a tricky line of how we lose ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's not like you meet someone and after date two, you're like, okay, I'm just going to lose my identity and I'm going to just morph into this person. It happens very slowly and it happens gradually. Mm -hmm. And people who are more prone to be codependent, meaning they put a lot of identity and sense of self-worth into their relationships, or they have an anxious attachment style, meaning they're very afraid of abandonment uh, and rejection, have more of a tendency to kind of merge with their partner and lose their sense mm-hmm. of self. And so I think it's really important. I do this exercise with people at Breakup Bootcamp and I talk about it in my book is if you're in a relationship now or if you're looking to be in a relationship, I would draw a circle and in that circle, divide that circle into a slices of pie and how much of that slice of pie is devoted to the relationship. And I I know I with the people I work with, usually that slice of pie is like 70, 80% Mm, towards a relationship. And so if you are newly broken up, then you need to be really proactive and create a strategic plan of how you're going to fill up that pie to fulfill your needs. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're going to fill up that pie with thoughts of ruminating about your ex. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a relationship, it's really important to kind of even have this visual reminder so that you don't have that gradual, slowly losing of self, right? It starts off, okay, this one weekend, I'll just change my plans with my friends because it's the only time that he can see me. Okay, you know, next weekend, I'll just like, I'll drive three hours to go to his place because it's, you know, he's tired from work, right? It's happened slow, so slowly. And so if you don't really kind of keep track and be intentional about your own balance, it's very easy to lose yourself into that relationship. Mm -hmm. So would you say this is a big part of just giving yourself time and creating your own life and your own hobbies sort of thing? Like how do you teach someone to kind of give that, create more of that pie back for themselves if they've given too much in a relationship? Great question. I work with a lot of people who give too much in a relationship and the power dynamic shifts. And it doesn't start off that way. It starts off equal. And then suddenly, you know, a couple weeks or months in there, when they really fall for the person, they're like, wait, something just happens and the whole dynamic has changed. And now I'm like anxious Mm -hmm. that they like me back or if they're committing. And so I think, yes, definitely you made a great point. It is taking the time to not lose your identity and have your own hobbies, but also being super disciplined about it. And Mm -hmm. if you have this tendency to kind of merge with your partner, you actually need to do more work and it might even feel contrived. And so think of it this way. In a power dynamic, say there's 100%. If you show up giving 80%, you're only leaving 20% for that other person to give to you. And Mm -hmm. it's inevitable, even if you're dating with someone who is an amazing person and a kind human being, we are all aware of power dynamics on a subconscious and conscious level. So if you're giving three steps for every one step, eventually they're going to hold more power and that's going to create anxiety and you may want to chase the person and even put your foot on the gas pedal to give more in order to mm. get that you know, fulfillment and that attention back. And that only pushes them away even more. So if you find this happening, just really check in with yourself and pause. And when you feel that angst of like, oh, wait, are they investing? Do they like me that much? Don't do anything. Don't give more. Don't change your plans so you can see the person. Don't ask them out. Don't tell them, hey, where are we at? Are you still into me? Just pause and focus your attention away from them and divert it back into doing things that light you up. Yeah. Yeah. Like live your life and then observe and see if they will come, right? Because if they don't make an effort, then 
this is not worth it, right? Yes. Observe and see if they come. And if they do, then <laughs> great. <laughs> I see. So you, you do have to give the other person a chance to make an effort, right? Like you said, if you go 80, you only give them 20. So you have to give less <laughs> for people who tend to give too much. Totally. And, you know, I think that people might mistaken receiving as being a taker, but something mm-hmm. really important to understand and is it's generous to receive. If you do not have a flow of giving and receiving, you are not in relationship with the person. Mm-hmm. You are, you're kind of like, there's like a wheel and you have a stick and you're jamming it because mm-hmm. when we don't receive, we're actually not bonding. It has mm-hmm. to kind of flow back and forth. Yeah. And so sometimes we overgive really as a disguise because one, um, when we are constantly giving, we feel like we're in control and we can it's like this belief that, okay, if I'm constantly helpful, if I'm always doing, then I'm indispensable. So it could be a control tactic. It could be from a brute belief that I'm not enough and I need to prove my worthiness by being useful Mm. and by giving in order to earn their love. And so it's actually not giving, right? That energy is actually deplete someone because Mm -hmm. it's not a gift. It's coming from a place of scarcity. And so get really real with the intention and the energy behind why you're are giving. And if you find that it's coming from that place of scarcity and lack, don't do it. Mm -hmm. And if you are giving and you're, if you're taking one step, they're taking one step. Amazing. And this happens a lot in the beginning. You set precedent, but if you start to take three steps and they're taking one step and then you just add more steps, you are setting a precedent for an uneven power dynamic to keep growing. And eventually Mm -hmm. it breaks. Yeah. I think what you said is is something so deep that maybe not and everyone will catch this giving from a place of scarcity and lack, like that feeling of I'm not good enough. So I have to try to compensate for that. So is this related to attachment styles or is it is that something different? Yeah. Overgiving, I find, happens a lot with people with anxious attachment style. And I can explain the three styles for mm-hmm. those who are listening who aren't aware of yes, attachment please. theory. Okay, great. So <laughs> mm-hmm. there's three types of attachment styles. And basically the idea is by the age of around two years old, we determine an attachment style, which will pretty much determine how we relate romantically as adults. They're secure, avoidant, and anxious. I'll go over each one. Secure, that's mm-hmm. 50% of the population. They're not afraid of intimacy. They're also not codependent. They do not base their sense of self-worth and identity on their partner. They're able to communicate their needs and their boundaries, and they're able to talk through issues versus turning them into catastrophes. The next type is avoidantly attached people. These are people who actually subconsciously suppress their attachment system. So they often don't even know that they're doing it. And what happens is it's not that they can't be in relationships or that they don't want to be in relationships. What happens is when someone gets a little bit too emotionally close, a little too intimate for comfort, they do what's called deactivating strategies. These are attempts to squelch intimacy. So this might look like you go on a romantic weekend with someone and then, you know, instead of contacting you afterwards, they withdraw for a week and they go into their cave. Or you date someone, if you have an avoidant attachment style in the beginning, you're like, oh my gosh, everything's amazing. And then at about three month mark, you start noticing all these imperfections. They're like, oh no, you're just not the one. 
People who have an avoidant attachment style also have a tendency to chase this kind of unicorn that doesn't exist, or they might idolize uh, an ex and start thinking, well, the ex that got away Mm -hmm. and compare people to them. But these are all ways that they Mm -hmm. actually squelch intimacy. And why why is it that people end up like that? Because there's different factors that contribute to, to these styles, right? So what makes a person the avoiding type? Yeah. So the theory is that it all goes down into caregiving. And so there are some theories that say that a part of your attachment style is determined, you know, when you're in the womb, but a lot of it talks about when you're a child. And there is Mm -hmm. something called the strange situation test that has been done all over the world. And really what they did was they, they took babies, they brought the babies into like a mother and their, their toddler into a room and in that room, there was toys and they would see how the baby would react when the mother left. So those who had an avoidant attachment style, the mother would come into the room and the child would just play with the toys and not even really notice that the mother was there. The mother would leave and then the mother would come back and the child still looked like they didn't even notice. But what's Mm. really interesting is when they actually tested the the child's heart rate and cortisol levels, they were having a stress response. So even Mm. though physically on the outside, they appeared like they were completely cool and aloof and didn't even notice that their mother was gone, they were having a stress response. So if you think about what happens as an adult, right? Like it's really easy to just be like, oh, avoidance, you know, unavailable people, screw them. But really like on the outside, they might appear that they don't have any emotion or they're not feeling mm-hmm. upset about something, but sometimes they, they're not even cognitively processing that they're having the stress response. They but just don't they, know how to show it ex- exactly. and express that emotion. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to go over anxious? This is a good, uh, yes, this the is juicy one. Attachment okay. style, yeah. So anxiously attached people have this fundamental fear that they're going to be abandoned or rejected at any moment. And often this is due to inconsistent caregiving. So back Mm -hmm. to the strange situation test, when the mother and the toddler were in the room, before the mother even leaves the room, the child starts to have a stress response because they're in they're almost intuitive and anticipating that the mother is going to leave the room. The mother leaves the room, the child freaks out, the mother Mm -hmm. comes back and the child is trying to be soothed by the mother, but also kicking and even throwing things at the mother. The Mm -hmm. anxiously attached takes the longest to self to soothe. And so Mm -hmm. when you look at this child that grows up and they follow these children into adulthood and they've shown that only about 20% of um, them actually change their attachment style, what happens is when they're in a relationship and they sense a threat to the connection, they will actually engage what's called protest behavioral they will then try to do things to reestablish connection or get attention. And they might, for example, if they texted their partner or someone they're dating and they don't hear back, they might text like crazy or even call Mm -hmm. or show up, or Mm -hmm. they might punish them and say, oh, it took you four hours to text me? Screw you. I'll take four days. See how you like it. Or they might like someone so much that to take the edge off, they'll start dating other people just so that they can calm down. They Mm -hmm. may even reject someone before they have the chance to reject them. So they sometimes they will appear on the outside like they're an avoidant, but they're really anxiously attached, masquerading as an avoidant. And the kicker Mm -hmm. is anxiously attached people are drawn to avoidance and vice versa because they both reconfirm each other's worldview. Right. And so it doesn't, because they think the healthy person is boring. (laughs) Yeah. So so they they kind of, it's kind of like a magnet, right? Totally. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Very, very interesting. There's so much that we could talk about going into this, but I think I want to move <laughs> on to our questions from our Instagram. Yeah. So Sho asked, how do you know when to let go of a relationship? Ooh, how do you know when to let go of a relationship? I think that the first thing is to have an understanding of what healthy love looks like and feels like. And a lot of people actually don't have this privilege, especially if you didn't grow up in a household where this was modeled for you. And so Mm -hmm. if you don't know, you don't know. So you think that if you're in this relationship and you're stressed out all the time and you're anxious and you're wondering if they like you or they're invested, you might think that's normal. And so I think first thing, write down a list. What does unhealthy feel like? And base this off of your past experiences, the experience you have right now, and then write a list of what does healthy love feel like. And if you don't have a model of it romantically, look at the times where you felt most loved and supported by your friends, by your family, and write that down and see if there's a disconnect of what you are in right now. And I think it's also important to take a look at the values because the lust will will expire. And research shows it's between eight months to two years where that chemical rush does subside. And then what you're left with is the values. The values is a glue that's going to hold that relationship together and into a partnership. And if the values are misaligned, eventually that relationship, when there isn't that momentum of chemistry, is going to deteriorate. Mm-hmm. So this is something that if you have a significant other, you should probably write down your value, share it with each other, make sure that they align, right? Yeah. And I think life vision as well, right? Like mm-hmm. we can be dating people who are amazing. And I hear this a lot, like, but this person's amazing. They're, you know, they're kind, they're loving, they're, they donate to charity, but are they amazing for you? Are they right. the amazing fit for you? Yeah. And that is a combination of chemistry, compatibility, and timing. And if you don't have all three, it is really hard to have a solid foundation for that relationship to be a strong partnership. Mm-hmm. The next question, I'm going to combine two guest questions because they're similar. So okay. how do you regain trust after a breakup from a long-term relationship. And then someone else asked, how do I open my heart to new possibilities and put aside trust issues after being cheated on? So just how do you recover from the trauma of like a bad breakup? Mm, Great question. Rebuilding trust is something that happens degree by degree. And the very first thing to do is look at, before you even look at your romantic relationships, you need to look at your entire tribe that surrounds you. Because Our brains are molded by who we surround ourselves with the most, even our nervous systems. And so if you are around people in work, even maybe you have a really toxic sibling and you're around people who are constantly rejecting you, judging you, and making you feel very unsafe and unseen, you're actually not building the neural pathways for healthy connection. And so I think the very first thing is just looking at the foundation And starting to assess who are the low safety relationships in your life that you're exposed to a lot and finding ways to start minimizing that exposure to the low safety relationships. Who are the high safety relationships? The people you feel nourished, supported, that you can trust. And how can you increase exposure to that? And if you don't have anyone like that, starting 
to be proactive to create those relationships. That's first and foremost, because you need to build those neural pathways of healthy connection in your brain. Mm. So not just with romantic relationships, but with everyone in your life. Exactly. Yes. Because they're wiring your brain. And then when it comes to opening your heart up for love, I think taking time and I think a lot of the ideas of what we've seen in movies and love stories and songs about what love is, is not love. It's lust and it's intensity and it's borderline love addiction. And, and love is something that is created through through time, through getting to know someone's character, through seeing them through different situations in life. And so a great way to set yourself up for success is take the time to build rapport, right? You're, you're doing a dance. You're not having a sprint because I think too often when we jump into things and we share the most intimate parts of ourselves before we even know them, before trust has even had the chance to build, and then we find out, then boom, we're so devastated. So mm. yeah, take it, take it degree by degree. It's a dance. It's not a sprint. Yeah. Elizabeth asked, what are the signs a guy truly likes and is falling in love with you versus just likes to hang out with you? Someone who truly wants to continue developing the connection and investing in you, you will know. (laughs) If you are guessing, if you are (laughs) asking your friends to, you know, analyze the text messages, if you are scrolling to see if they're checking your Instagram story, because maybe that's their way of showing they're like, they probably aren't that into you. And out of all the people I've interviewed so many men, and I've heard this every single time is they tend to know quite early on. So if someone isn't committing to you Mm. after getting to know you after a couple months, Waiting around and being casual with them for a year or two years or three years is not going to change their mind. Someone who Mm. wants to be with you will make the effort to see you. They will make it easy for you in order to make, you know, an experience or a date happen. But if you're the one who's jumping through hoops and there's constant resistance, that is the first sign for you to pause and just stop doing anything and letting them yeah. chase you. Right. And not expecting things to change after a few months. Because some people, they like to have hope, right? Oh, maybe this is going somewhere. And Oh my gosh. Right. The amount of times <laughs> I've hung on to hope and how hope has just fucked me. <laughs> I mean, like have hope for, you know, the world, for humanity. But to have hope that someone is going to want to commit to you after making it clear in their actions and in the words that they don't, you're going to be suffering because I have yet to see that happen. And Mm -hmm. so if you're investing in someone who's not investing in you, it's just going to minimize and deteriorate your own self-worth until you get into a cycle where you feel hooked onto the person. Mm, Yeah. Wow. So if you, you will know if a guy likes you because it will be right away. He will, he will chase you in the beginning. Because you won't be guessing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It will be certain. Yes. If you're guessing, then it's a no. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) All right, Amy, I have some rapid fire questions that I ask all of our guests at the end of the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, Amy, what does your dream life look like? My dream life looks like pretty much what I'm doing now, except uh, COVID's not here and the world Mm. is in a much better place and I can travel again. And yeah, I'm writing, talking, speaking about love for a living. 
That's amazing. What is one book or resource that you recommend to everybody? Get Attached, um, Amir Levine, an amazing book on attachment theory. It will change your life. Get Attached. Okay. What is one habit that has changed your life? Gratitude journaling. Totally. It does actually change your brain and writing down what you're grateful for on a regular basis changes your brain so that you're more positive. Mm -hmm. I can totally attest to that. What is the best life or career advice that you've ever gotten? Just start. Stop waiting. And lastly, finish the sentence. The most amazing part about life is... That you are the author of your story. And regardless of any heartbreak, rejection, or hardship you've gone through, that those are just plot twists. And mm. you are just writing the chapters and make it beautiful. I love that. <laughs> those are just plot twists. And it, it, you know what? It makes your life more interesting and rich. Exactly. Yeah. Amy, where can we find you online? You can find me on renewbreakupbootcamp.com or follow me on Instagram at Miss Amy Chan. And my book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, is now available in bookstores. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Amy, and sharing all of these gems. I hope yes. that this helps the listeners out there because it was just so good. That was so fun. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed today's interview with Amy Chan. Make sure you check out her new book, Breakup Bootcamp. So now I'm just going to wrap up with some takeaways from our talk. The first takeaway is this quote that Amy said that actually comes from her book. It's never about the X, it's always about the recycled pain. So we tend to chase the wrong people because our brain is trying to recreate the trauma that we're familiar with in hopes to create a different outcome. And this is what happens when people get into this negative toxic cycle where they're constantly meeting or being with the same types of toxic negative people that just continue to hurt them. And it's not until you become aware of the cycle become aware of why you're always drawn to these people that you can begin to heal and break that chain. The second takeaway is that there are three attachment styles, healthy, avoidance, and anxious attachment. So healthy people have a healthy level of attachment. People with the avoidance attachment style tend to avoid situations. These are the people that have a difficult time committing. They have commitment issues. And when emotions arise, they just shut down, they avoid, or they run away. Anxious attachments are people that tend to be more clingy because they had a certain lack in their childhood or upbringing. They latch onto whatever feels like love and acceptance and caring. So they tend to have this feeling of anxiousness and restlessness in a relationship. The third takeaway is to draw a pie chart of your identity and energy and just make sure that your relationship doesn't take up too much of your identity. It's super important to have equal power dynamic in a relationship because if one person has more power, one person has less power, it's never going to work out in the long run because that power dynamic is going to continue to grow over time unless you do something to balance it out. All right, that's it for today's episode. If you guys liked it, feel free to share it on Instagram or Twitter. Tell your friends about the Lavender Lifestyle Podcast. Share the love. All right, sending you so much love. Bye. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Lavender Lifestyle. If you like this podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. Lastly, you can catch me on YouTube and Instagram at Lavender, where I have even more content for the artist of life. Sending you so much love. Bye.